So Abraham called the name of that place Yahweh Yirah. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The chronology of the great Hebrew patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is fairly easy to trace. We know the date of the Exodus, the 14th day of the Hebrew month of Nisan, in the year 1446. We also know, as a matter of historical fact, that it was 430 years earlier that Jacob and his family came into Israel or came into Egypt in order to escape the famine. That would put the date of their entrance into Egypt at 1876 BC. Jacob, we are told, at that time was 130 years old, which would mean that he was born in 2006 BC. His father, Isaac, was 60 years old when he was born, and so that would put Isaac's birth at 2066 BC. And Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born, so that would put Abraham's birth at 2166 BC. Boy, I hope I got my math right. (laughs) All that to say that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob aren't characters in a fiction, but real historical people who lived some 4,000 years ago. And this tale of the sacrifice of Isaac and and Abraham's faithfulness through it has echoed for these 4,000 years, but not as a museum piece, Not that we would merely look at the faith of Abraham and say, wow, isn't that amazing? But rather that we ourselves, in every generation, would embrace the dynamics of what he went through and learn as if by a template how to have faith, strong faith, in our own lives. Abraham was called out of Haran and out of idolatry when he was 75 years old. So it's never too late to turn to the Lord. When he was 86, his firstborn son of Hagar, Ishmael, came along. And 14 years later, when he was 100, Isaac came along. Thus, we know that Abraham when God told him to sacrifice his son Isaac, was 100 plus however old his son was. Well, how old was his son? We don't know. We can set the upper limit at 40 years old because we know that he married Rebekah when he was 40. Probably it was earlier also than that because he was 37 when his mother Sarah died. Somewhere from 37 or younger, what might be the benchmark we'd set in the early years. Well, we are told that he had to carry the wood for the whole burnt offering up the mountain. Any of you who have gathered wood from outside in order to fill the fireplace at your home or firewood enough to build a large campfire, 
You know how heavy that can be. Imagine the wood it would take for a whole burnt offering. We know then that Isaac was very strong. Luther, as is his way, simply says, I think he was 25, (laughs) which is as good a guess as any. But this plays an important role as well because we see that it's not only the faith of Abraham that is involved, but also the faith of Isaac, who willingly allows himself to be bound and laid upon the altar. As we consider these things, we need to first recall that it is not a matter of any evil doing or temptation to sin or other form of nastiness on the part of God that causes God to tell Abraham to sacrifice his son. We have to recall first and foremost that we are not our own. We belong to the Lord who gives and takes away. Not even our lives are our own. But even more convincing, even more to the point, we are all sinners. If you violate the law in one place, you are guilty of all of it. We are all under the sentence of death, as was Isaac, as was Abraham. And so who are we to tell the Lord no when he says, the day of death has come? We learn in the New Testament book of James, echoed in Luther's small catechism, that God tempts no one. That is to say that God will lead no one into sin. God tempts no one, but does that mean that God will not test us? No. In fact, God tests us all the time. That's the very beginning of our Old Testament text, Genesis 22, where we learn that God tested Abraham. How so? Isaac was the son of promise, born to Abraham in his old age, to his wife Sarah when she was 90, when there was no physical way in which they should be able to bear children, even so God's word is fulfilled and their son of promise, Isaac, is born to them. And God lays this promise upon Abraham. Through Isaac will your offspring be named. Through Isaac specifically. What offspring? Well, you can think of all the offspring of the sands of the shore and the stars of the sky, to be sure. But St. Paul would also direct our attention to the fact that in this multiplicity, there is also a singularity. This is the capital O offspring, the capital S seed, the Messiah. Through Isaac, the Messiah will be born the one through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. How so? This is the same offspring that was promised just a few chapters earlier in Genesis to Eve, that her offspring would come and crush the serpent's head. What does that mean? But that he would put an end to our slavery to Satan, an end to our slavery to sin and death. So the promise of the Messiah is bound up in Isaac. Through him shall your offspring be named. But no sooner does God make this promise 
God then attacks this promise. Take your son Isaac, your only son, whom you love. Take him to Mount Moriah and make him a whole burnt offering there. Luther is brilliant on this point, better than any other commentator in the history of the church, in fact. No sooner does God make a promise and faith clings to that promise, then God attacks that promise. Why? It is the exercise of faith. There's an analogy even in something as simple as lifting weights. In order to grow bigger muscles, your muscles have to be first broken down. Your body has to be attacked by weights or miles of trail in order to grow stronger. And so God attacks faith not to destroy it, but to make it stronger. The faith of Abraham is such that he clings to this promise of God that through Isaac his offspring shall be named. And we see this even as Isaac and Abraham head off to Moriah They reach the mount after three days' travel, and Abraham says something quite telling to the servants. He says, wait here. The boy and I are going to worship and return to you. In other words, in Abraham's mind, very clearly, is God will not break his promise. Even if I go through with this, even if my son Isaac is slain, even if his body is reduced to ashes, God's word will come true. He will raise my son from the dead, for through him my offspring will be named. You can see then the great faith of Abraham and how, as I said, it is not a museum piece but something that we must embrace and learn as a template. Because God always and ever attacks and allows His promises to be attacked. We see this even in something so broad as the governance of the world. Has all authority in heaven and on earth been given to Jesus or not? He says so, but what does the news tell you? He makes His statement... And no sooner than he makes it, that statement is attacked by everything we see and experience. It's true in the church also. Does he not declare that the church will be one? He the head and we the united body. And yet, what do we see? That very word attacked as the church is fragmented into sects. It's true in our own families as well. To our families, he says, you are mine. And yet, in our families, we see all manner of rebellion and brokenness. We see that he makes two into one flesh in marriage, and yet marriages are fraught with problems. From that, those two being made into one flesh come children. Those children, especially as they grow older, bring problems. We're left wondering if God does in fact care, 
about our families? Does he in fact care about his church? Does he in fact care about this world? Various assaults and attacks can come to us physically as we reach that age. I think we call it going over the hill. That is to say that in the first half of life, God gives and gives and gives. And in the second half of life, he begins to take away and take away and take away. Physical attack to our health, spiritual attack and temptation lead us to question the goodness of God. Lead us to question if in fact he does love us as he promises And if we are, in fact, his children and will, in fact, be saved. Luther tells us that there are two responses to God attacking his own promises. One is to accuse God of being a liar and to fall into great blasphemy and sin. Don't do that. But the other is to fall into despair to say, no, God is just, he tells the truth, he is righteous in attacking his promise, he is righteous in changing his mind because that's what I deserve. Surely I have angered him. Surely he is right in damning me. But this is called despair. And Luther would say, don't do that either. Rather, set before your eyes Abraham, and his faith, wherein he clings to the word of God despite all other appearances, and holds to that word, knowing that heaven and earth themselves may pass away, but the word of God will not. What does that mean very concretely for us? Luther directs our attention to holy baptism. In holy baptism, God claimed you as his own. When you were baptized, he wrote his name upon you. He promised to wash your sins away now and always. He so united you with his son that his righteousness has become your righteousness. His death, your death. His resurrection, your resurrection. This is the sure and certain promise to you from God that he loves you that he likes you, that he will save you. So as Abraham clung to the promise of God, so also you cling, fighting off despair and blasphemy, triumphing and having your faith exercised by God that it might daily become stronger. Indeed, isn't that the very thing that St. Paul tells us? Each day, day by day, the outer man is slowly perishing. But the inner man, believe it or not, is slowly growing and maturing and abounding. Abraham lays the wood on his son. His son carries the wood to the top of the hill, Moriah. On the mount of the Lord, it will be provided, we remember. And there, just as everything is prepared, as Isaac allows himself to be bound, as Isaac is silently commending himself into God's hands, as his father Abraham raises the knife, the angel of the Lord comes in 
and stays Abraham's hand. And he points Abraham instead to a ram with his horns caught in the thicket. You have proved your faithfulness. In place of your son, this ram shall die. And we see here God's graciousness that he doesn't simply remove the sacrifice or by fiat declare the whole thing to be off, but instead replaces Isaac with his own ram, a substitute, showing that Christ will take our place and be crucified and sacrificed for us. In the person of Isaac, we see a number of parallels with our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll name a few of them, not at all exhaustive. But we see how Isaac was a miracle child, promised by God, born of a barren womb. And our Lord Jesus was a miracle child, promised of our Lord, born of a virgin womb. Both of them received joyful names. Isaac, a name that means laughter. Jesus, a name that means salvation from our sins. This is a complex point of theology. I'm not going to go off on it because you don't want to listen to that for another 20 minutes. But there is a sense in which both Isaac and Jesus are second born. And to them the promise is given. Isaac behind Ishmael. Jesus behind Adam. Both of them the promise and the redemption What else shall we say? As Isaac carried the wood up the hill, so our Lord Jesus bore his cross. And in Father Abraham giving his son, we see a picture of God the Father giving his beloved son for us. On the mount of the Lord, God provides his own son in our place. A ram, or rather a lamb, who takes away the sins of the world who is found not entangled in thorns, but indeed with his head wrapped in them. On the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And it is on this mount, Mount Moriah, that God, some thousand years later, will instruct that his temple be built. And some thousand years after that, on the very same mount, Christ our Lord will in fact be crucified. On the mount of the Lord, it is provided. In the mystery of Isaac's sacrifice, we see the mystery of our Lord Jesus' sacrifice. We see the love of God the Father, who lays down something infinitely more precious than his own life. He lays down the life of his own beloved Son. And we see in our Lord Jesus one who willingly lays down his life for the life of the world, that our sins, great and grievous, though they may be, are blotted out, and the promise of God made to us irrevocable. You are mine. I have saved you. But not only do we glimpse the mystery of the sacrifice of Jesus and our salvation, We also glimpse how it is that God exercises our faith and calls us to view our lives, that we would cling to His Word, 
cling to holy baptism through all things, knowing that even as he brings us through the waters and fires of this life, his word will hold true. We shall be saved, and with our eyes we shall behold him in his eternal kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,